The following podcast contains uncensored coarse language. Listeners are advised that some of the following content may not be appropriate for those under 15 years of age. Hello everybody and welcome to the Cinema Catch-Up Club, the podcast for films that you probably should have seen by now. I'm your host, Dr. Stephen Platt. Thank you very much for downloading this week's episode. And this week, it's an audience choice film with a twist. Uh, that's right, we thought that just for a bit of fun, we'd give all of those films that just missed out on being picked by our audiences a second chance. We took all the runners-up from the last 12 months of film polls, threw them in one big hodgepodge, and let you pick which one got a second chance at being reviewed. And you chose 2007's Hot Fuzz. And joining me on a rather hot day here in Perth to review Hot Fuzz, we have, as always, someone who has seen the film and someone who has not. Our guest who has not seen the film, it is science's own, Kate O'Sullivan! Hello! Uh, Kate, for the folks at home, who are you and what do you do? Uh, I am a... Actor, improviser, primary school teacher now, officially, which is oh, nice. Yeah. That's new. I did that extra degree now. I Excellent. have a collection. There's four of them. It's fun. Oh, yeah. very um, nice. And yeah, I just haven't seen it. I just haven't seen it. There's you just no, haven't seen There's no, no logical reason. It's just... Have you seen any of the other films from these, these guys, like uh, Shaun of the Dead? Or... I've seen Shaun of the Dead. Uh, and The World's End is the other one? That no, they... I think the only one I've seen okay. is Shaun of the Dead. There was a plan at one point that I would that some of us would watch, like some of my friends would watch all three. Mm. And I only watched one of them. Oh. Because I moved from Sydney back to Perth. Okay, that's fair. So, <laughs> that's fair. yeah. Yeah. Well, luckily, uh, here in Perth, we also have Hot Fuzz. So you'll get to watch it. Uh, so, so wh- what, are we, what are you expecting, having seen Shaun of the Dead, I guess? What do you What do you think? I expect to enjoy it. I expect it to be fun. But I have no real expectation of it, because it's been a long time since I've kind of looked at what it is as a film, if that makes sense. Like... Mm. I don't expect it to be a very taxing Sunday afternoon. Put it that way. Mm. That's that's entirely fair. Um, I'm. I, I will say full disclosure. I'm very excited to be watching this film, and uh, joining us as someone who has also seen this film, and I presume is also similarly excited. It's Daniel Buckle, mm, Doctor. Uh, Daniel, uh, <laughs> uh, don't you've not been on the program for more than a year. Yeah, um, I realised this only just now as we started recording. Yes, yeah, so uh, welcome back. Was the Thanks. last episode with me? It might have been, actually. Yeah, back in back Galaxy Quest, it wow. may well have wow. been. I will now only work with Kate. There you go. Oh, cool. <laughs> Look, um. it, it, it's fair. Um, Daniel, um, who are you? What do you do? And how has 2021 been for you? Oh, wow. Uh, I, I'm an actor and improviser, uh, and I don't teach uh, primary school, but I have a primary school level understanding of the world. Uh-huh. Um, and... Uh, my 2021 has been better than it could have been mm-hmm. compared to a lot of the rest of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I will not complain. Excellent. Wonderful. Hot Fuzz. Ah. In a vague, non-spoilery sort of way, what can people like Kate who have not seen Hot Fuzz expect? Um, it is It is indeed very fun. Um, you're mostly right in that it'll be a nice, easy watch. Okay. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly, yes. This is a film that I think I like more each time I see it. Hmm. Um, uh, so, I, actually, the first time I saw it, I didn't really like it. Or I didn't find it very funny. I, I, what? I like, Well, I liked it, but I was like... <laughs> you eh, didn't get it. Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I thought it was a good film, but a poor comedy. But then I found it funnier each subsequent watch. Okay. 
Excellent. Well, when did you last watch this film? Oh, it has been it has been a few years, I think. Yeah, I, I feel like for me, it's been. It probably has been close to ten years. I, I don't think wow. I don't because I I watched it in the cinema um, and had a tremendous time watching it, and I've definitely watched it at home since then. But mm. looking back on it, I, yeah, I I I don't think it's been one that I've I've seen in probably about ten years, which. I'm a little upset now I've realised that. Uh, but luckily we can rectify that. So, would you guys like to watch Hot Fuzz? Let's do it. Yes, please. Okay, for those of you listening at home, pop in those DVDs, load up those streaming services, and prepare to be Judge Judy and Executioner as we watch Hot Fuzz. Welcome back, everybody. We have just finished watching Hot Fuzz. And by we, I, of course, mean Daniel Buckle Hello. and Kate O'Sullivan. Kate, that was your first time watching Hot Fuzz. What did you think? I just said, I think I need to watch it again because I feel like it's one of those films that's got a lot of details that I would have picked up some of, but not all of. And mm. not in a bad way, just in a, like, it's a very dense film. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's an Edgar film. Like, it's, mm. of course it is. Um, but yeah, I think I enjoyed it. But I think I would need to watch it again to know what I really think. If yeah, that makes sense. I, I think it is very much a film that, um, as, as Daniel sort of said in the, the the prelude, you you can enjoy more with multiple viewings. Um, and, and Daniel, I presume watching it this time, you would have found some new things that you hadn't spotted before. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of little tiny visual jokes and and little details um, and. Uh, yeah, yeah, like the the swear jar um, mm. listings f- uh, really early on. I just had never seen that before. Yeah, uh, such a nice little touch. What I liked about the swear jar, uh, and th- <laughs> this this film is R rated, so uh, MA fifteen plus. M- well, it's MA fifteen plus in this country. It's R rated ah, in the yes. states. So um, w- when we have a, a film that is R rated, I don't tend to censor the swears. We, we can swear, but we do have the swear jar. So um, every uh, yeah, yep. every time you do it, you mm-hmm. just need to uh, drop a coin on a coin, basically. Okay. But I really love that the word "cunt" was uh, not censored. Um, mm-hmm. All yeah. the other ones have got a little asterisk, like um, the the F word has got an asterisk with a U. I love be. that you censored yourself <laughs> for the F word. Well, it's very expensive. If I'd said. <laughs> See, I'm losing money. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, again, this, this film uh, is is filled with those those little tiny details, um, and I was very much enjoying something that I don't think I've really appreciated is that everything that is set up has payoff. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so many things that don't feel like setup. You you only realise our setup because you then see the payoff in the second half of the film. I um I was thinking just as we as we started the film, I was going over what I remembered of the ending and everything and of the of the big fight climax. Um and and the camera at that moment part panned past the two rapiers on the wall mm. uh, at the hotel and and I remember they going um uh oh, it's a shame they won't get to use those. They've like got the Chekhov's gun there, but they're mm. not gonna not gonna fire mm. that particular one. And I had just forgotten that they did. Yeah, yeah. The old man swings the sword at him. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, it it is it is remarkably fun, and the story is pretty pretty good too. Uh, the story is uh, Nicholas Angel, cop in London, is a uh, super cop. Super cop. He basically is super cop. Mm. He's he's 
400% more effective than any other cop. Um, <laughs> he is moved out to uh, the little village of Sanford because he's too good at his job. Um which is such a great setup yeah. for, for what this film is. Um, and so he gets moved out of London to this sleepy village where nothing happens. Or does, or does it? it? Yeah. Mm. yeah, it is very much a film where you just can describe the initial setup and then go, and then the murders began. <laughs> um, and yeah, it turns into slowly this sort of um, quite pleasant um, sort of uh, Midsummer Murders, Miss Marple sort of setup where you know murders are happening or are going to happen, but it's very sedate. It's quite lovely. It sort of like lulls you in with its sort mm. of English countryside tranquility. And then it just slowly transforms into this John Woo action film. Um, and it's, it's, it's fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. I was trying to think of like scenes that I'd seen before, like, and mm. the Swan is the scene that I've seen before. I think <laughs> rather than like, if you, if you pick off scene from this film that people have seen, it's mm. probably that one, mm. but the context of it now is way funnier. Yeah. Like, I was like, ah, oh, cool. Oh, they've been chasing this. Okay, that makes it actually better than... Yeah, yeah, just this sort of, like, white whale throughout the entire yeah. thing for them where they could just never catch this one. And just, again, little bits, like when he's chasing the guy in the purple uh, tracksuit mm. and the swan's there and yeah. you can get him and he does a little look like, oh, I'll get you later, and then carries on. Um, yeah, I, I do have to say, um, this, this film has an incredible cast. Mm. Like, just so many big names, but... I think the best person in it is Simon Pegg. Mm. Um, that that caricature that he's playing of the the super cop who talks like this and is very serious mm. works fabulously well because he feels only slightly heightened. He doesn't feel like a complete heightening of like the the workaholic sure, police yeah. officer. Um, you know, maybe having like pulling out two pens and going like, "It's okay, I've got pens." Like that kind of thing. It's it, which is more, I guess, a film language thing than an acting thing. But his his performance in this is just wonderful. Yeah, I think he does a really good job of um, keeping it realistic, and that's mm. kind of what you're talking about. It's not so heightened that you're like, "Nah, that mm. had never happened." Mm. Yeah, because but... well, so many of the other characters in the film are those heightened yeah. characters. Like like Danny is Nick Frost is you know very much the sort of comic relief. Um, doofus which mm. which nick frost plays so well in these films um so, but, yeah uh, as with all their films together they play the they play the romance between them yeah um, really pardon the pun straight mm. um and uh i i really love every time that, that i get increasing joy every time i watch it from their interactions with yeah. each other and how how in love they are well it feels genuine like that mm, connection exactly. they have because it's it's not necessarily like a romantic love it's just that that bond that mm. they have that that clearly simon Pegg and nick frost actually have yeah. mm. um because you know they've worked together for so long and i i love the use of music david, david arnold's score which um i hadn't again watching it this time it really came through when they're having those conversations it's like you know were you really gonna get me a piece lily yeah yeah i was and it's just this beautiful <laughs> tinkling tune that you've seen in all of these serious mm. police procedurals it's 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 just a film where i don't feel as though a single frame has been wasted like yeah like, yeah it's really hard to find any fat on this film to mm. like try and slice off and it packed it's two hours like it's it's a fairly yeah. long run time but it uses it all absolutely maybe just the only time they luxuriate is when the first shot of the film where he's walking in and he's got that <laughs> that long walk 
<laughs> the too long walk. Yes. Yeah, but it's almost as though you know that's just building up the the anticipation. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's fabulous. Um, so it's it's a cast of thousands. Um, I, I almost feel as though I should just read through the cast list, and you just go stop whenever there's someone you want to talk about. Yeah, uh, Timothy Dalton. Ah, well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> stop right now. Thank you very much. Yeah. I I love him in this particularly mm-hmm. um and uh immediately after i remarked has he ever played someone that's not a villain where well, you reminded me bond. oh yeah bond yeah, yeah. <laughs> um uh, but uh, i i adore him as a villain because he's that mustache twirling style but for some reason he sells it uh, so it's cheesy and scary at the same time uh, mm. i i love him yeah he's he's just so good and, yeah. and I think he has made a really great sort of latter half of his career playing those villains mm. like like Rassilon in, in Doctor Who and things mm. like that he's just um, and again he's he's he does that thing really well which again everyone does in this film of like saying the murder puns or the like ominous lines you know where it's like <laughs> you'll have to catch me <laughs> when he when he meets him when he's jogging yeah. mm. he's like I'm a, I'm a slasher of prices <laughs> <laughs> I think the other thing that works really well about this film and with those villages in general um, is is we I feel like we all collectively know people who fit that village dynamic. Yeah. Um, like I, I noticed that one point when they were at the NWA meet, great name, the NWA meeting um, and we're meeting all the little characters and stuff and you, you almost groaned, Kate, at one point. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> what it, I, I do not remember who it was. But I, think I, it, went, I think it was yep. the... Um, it, it was it was when one of them said oh i think i've got a cream for that when he said um yeah. it was like a punchline for a word <laughs> that sounds like something else yeah um and yeah just just i felt that energy of oh i've been in that environment coming from you yeah i mean you know we've all hung around with enough improv people that the lame joke comes out anyway but mm-hmm. um uh why did well, you look directly at me Stephen, when that said <laughs> because i can't look at myself <laughs> mm. yeah and i think you know when those come out from characters that you're like, yes, that is the correct thing for you to say. And yeah. just like, but, but, oh, but, oh. Yeah. It also really reminded me of York, um, mm. the, the mm. town. Um, yeah. I, I was there not too long ago um, for an improv show. And after the show, we were sort of like walking back. I should specify this is York WA, not correct. York England. That yes. could lead to yeah. some confusion. We, we do have a lot of viewers yeah. in York England. Yes. We actually do have a few in oh. England. So, well, sorry, just specify, there is a place called York in WA. Shit. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and after the show, uh, we were walking back to, to our hotels and we were, we were stopped by um, the local priest who I'm sure had the best of intentions and just wanted to like talk to the new people in town, mm. but sounded so ominous. And it was also 10.30 at night mm. and they were like uh, talking to us on the street and... Yeah, I got very much the same Timothy Dalton sort of vibes. Mm. Did, did he pull out two pistols and go, fuck off, grasshopper? <laughs> that is still one of my favourite lines from this film. Just, it's so stupid. I love that as he's, as the priest is then gunned down, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. again, they've not wasted an oh, opportunity. No. They've really done a great job. And I think that one of the real strengths of this film is they've got a lot of really really great like english acting names in there but they they built an incredible ensemble mm. like like I, I feel like obviously skinner stands out because of his part in the plot mm. but like jim broadbent as um mm. as inspector 
uh, Butterfield as this sort of like figurehead. Yeah. But he feels it feels like yeah, of course he'd be hanging out in the same place as Ed Woodward's character hmm. or. Um, you know, Bill Bailey as the two identical <laughs> sergeants, or um, Anne Reed as Leslie Tiller. Like yeah. all, all of these, like faces. More for me, it's more faces than names that I recognise. But like, you see some of these like older English actors, and you're like, mm. oh yeah, they, they've built this really lovely ensemble uh, feeling to make Sanford itself feel like a place that is both real and a place where culty murders might happen. Yeah. Well, I was saying when we finished that. Um... You know, Olivia Coleman is now a cop in my head because yeah. mm. she. But you were saying that you think this is the first thing she did, and I'm like, mm. I buy it. Mm. I, I buy it. It's her first. Buy it now. It's her first police officer role. Yeah. Um, and again, it, I, there's a lot of like one joke characters that are really well used, mm. like her being sort of like the, the only female cop, so she's like a bit flirty to so like get in with the boys yeah. in that kind of sense. Um, but like it feels like. I've definitely met people like that yeah. where you've mm. got a woman moving into a traditionally male dominated environment and they do the blokey jokes. Um, I I do appreciate the fact that it never really felt like she was the butt of any of those jokes. No, just yeah. that just that one liner at the end, but that's not she, even then she's not really the butt. No. And and then you've got like the the, the old man with the dog who's just <laughs> which again, one joke used several times, used beautifully every yeah. time. Um it, it's just wonderfully constructed mm. oh, that said mm. i did have the thought um that it kind of feels like not that it was made but that it was written by um uh like a, f- a family with different ages so it was written by the first part maybe someone in in their like mid 40s then someone in their early 60s and then the last part was written by a 10 year old mm. yeah uh, to its credit and i think that's partly why it works so well that that sort of like ramping of tension and like i also think the thing that this film does really well on the big old list of things it does really well um is the plot and specifically the why these murders have happened Mm. and i'm curious kate as the first time viewer how was it for you when it was revealed that the actual reason these people were murdered were was because of poor habits they have or they were just murdered for very petty reasons um, I think I picked up on that potentially earlier than I was supposed to, Okay, but more because of the tropiness of those characters. And mm. so you're kind of like, oh, well, clearly that, per- like that person is not a good look for the town mm. in that progression. And sure that it was exactly the, um, the, the town award or whatever the v- uh, village of the year, village of the year. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that was not necessarily so clear, but that vibe was already there, I think, mm. quite early. Yeah. Um, for me, anyway. Yeah. Um, but again, that just might be to do with this particular production team, this particular style of storytelling, mm. rather than necessarily because it's set up that way. Yeah. Just my familiarity with that style of mm. film. The other question, which I think is quite uh, personal and pertinent, to us all is um, how close have you been to murdering somebody that was in a bad play you've seen because Uh. that felt closer to home for like a reason for hacking somebody apart with an axe than the other murders I guess it it did not look like a good production of Romeo and Juliet and I loved that they they sang the Love Me, Love Me song. Oh. Again, which See, I, I forgot. I feel that saved it at yeah. the end. Yeah. That saved it for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah? I yeah. think it became 
you're like, okay, you guys know that you're not doing a traditional Romeo yeah. and Juliet, but like, I, not close to murdering, but thought about how they were murdering the role. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. No, it was, again, it's just, I, I love the fact that it was just those, those reasons that seem petty to us as the viewer. But of course, when Butterfield comes out and does that whole speech about how he lost his wife because they didn't win the mm. village of the year and that they've built this fabricated fantasy land, but they all get to like live out their fantasy of being in the perfect English village. Yeah. It's like there is some truth to that. I, mm. I feel as though, no, maybe not the murdery culty part of it, but the, but that sort of like civic pride or pride in your your local community, mm. particularly in rural places like England. I grew up in places like that. Mm. Um, it's very reminiscent of uh, Chinley and Balabeg and these these little hamlets and villages that I, that I lived in, in in England and the Isle of Man. And I'm sure it's the same all over the world where you have those small rural communities. Yeah, I've I've spent some time out in uh, Coolin in the Eastern Wheat Belt, and it's very much that same that same vibe, that same energy of this. You can stand in the middle of town and see all the ends of town type places, and they, that vibe is still there mm. in Australia. It's also there in the US. Um, some, some time in Connecticut, small towns, small villages on their way past each other. And mm. everyone just knows everything that goes on. Yes, <laughs> they know where the bodies are buried. Um, I did personally find. Um, the Butterman reveal at the end of why he is part of it mm. to be a bit unsatisfying and a bit tacked on. Yeah. And mm. I keep forgetting um, each time I watch it why he does it. And I think it's because I don't find it very satisfying. Like the others, I can kind of imagine their slow descent into into their particular kind of madness. Mm. But but for him, it, it was he was clearly too switched on and, and mm. not even, I don't know, I, I, it, it didn't stick very well for me. Yeah, I, I can certainly see that, but I, I almost feel as though he, he has to be in on it. That's the thing, that character yes, has to be in on it. He definitely so. does, but I, I didn't like the why. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's just a question of, is there a better why? And there might well be just from a you mm. know, civic pride type standpoint, rather than necessarily that being the reason. Yeah. Um, you can be a crooked cop. Yeah. That's fine. Like, I mean, it's not fine, but... <laughs> but like, in terms of from a character, yeah, I know what you, you mean. can be a crooked cop. Um, how did you feel when it looked like Danny was one of the betrayers as well? When he grabs Nicholas's shoulder in that sequence, did you ever believe that? Oh no, it's 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 full on the Wicker Man. Like, what's what's going on? <laughs> I think they had played that romance too well for me to like. I I was like, oh oh no, but also I was like, N but no, like you've set this up too much to be, like you say, like a romance almost no. that. It didn't feel... If that had happened, I was like, that's not justified. That's mm. not... You've you've st stuck that on. Mm. Um, but I certainly was like, huh, no, mm. no! <laughs> Before... Yeah. Um... Even, even knowing how it ends, I was like, no, what are you doing? Mm. Like, it's still that feeling. Uh, quick shout out to Rory McCann, uh, who plays Michael in this film, uh, better known to many people these days as the Hound from Game of Thrones, mm -hmm. which is just wonderful to see him with so little hair uh, yeah, in yeah. this role, but... When I watched this film in the cinema a few years, well, 14 years ago, um, it was, that was one of the characters that I remember really standing out and... Quoted him many a time. Yeah, yeah the Yarp. Easy to remember. Yeah, very easy to remember. And the the lesser heard, Narp. <laughs> Again, simple jokes, done well. Yeah. Um, yeah, just superb stuff. Um, 
there's not really much more I feel like I can say about this film other than it's great. Yeah, um, it's really good. I, I think the use of hyperviolence and gore is quite well utilised in that it does sort of like jolt you with the juxtaposition of it in this sort of like idyllic thing where you know oh we're at a church fate oh it's a bit creepy oh this spy has just gone straight into that journalist and like he has no head and it's like something out of like silent hill it's mm. just, like i feel like they they did balance that really quite nicely at least for my own taste yeah. love the tiny model village and the spire through the chin oh yeah it, very it's great. again again because you're the first time viewer kate i was like how's kate gonna react to this <laughs> because she reacted the way everyone does which is oh, oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> it looks painful yeah and even when you they've got it and uh, timothy dalton's there going like that's really <laughs> it's so hard to watch that yeah. bit. um what what did you guys think of um the not, not just the gratuitous violence but sh- uh like when when the big climax fight happens and there's mm. the the lady in the bike and she pulls off the the cover of her um bike basket and there's like two handguns in there mm. so she's like really prepared for it all what what did you think of all that going down i mean it's a film uh yeah. part of me is like the realism took a hit there i think mm-hmm. for me not in necessarily a negative way because that's what you need for that scene. like mm-hmm. it, you have to do it that way there's mm-hmm. it wouldn't be satisfying any other way but i was just like oh mm, okay like yes good mm. <laughs> but i feel like from the moment Nicholas Angel drop kicks the old lady farmer in the face. That is like the turning point to farce. Yeah. Um, and it's beautifully done. Uh, and I, I, I love a good farce. I love something that plays around yeah. with reality, mm-hmm. if, particularly if the film has earned it. And I think the first half of this film is so good at establishing, right, we're moving into this like real space. Oh, it's slightly less real. Okay, mm. the mansion blows up and all this kind of stuff to the point where it just builds the point where that is earned by the film i, I agree yeah mm. um and and i love it i love the idea of just all these villages having all these hidden guns and the, just just the silliness of that it's mm. it's fabulous um kate mm. you're a scientific expert yes sometimes uh we have films which uh, challenge common scientific mm. knowledge <laughs> i have two questions for you okay um, can a swan break a man's arm is the first one. Uh, I don't know, in short. Um... That's just because it's the question that gets asked by everyone. It, broke, it could break a man's arm, can it? Like, uh, as, as not a zoologist, mm. um, I can't speak. I'm a, I'm a sort of physics-y, chemistry person, not a biology, zoology type, type human. But um, I wouldn't think so. But in saying that, I'm happy to be proven wrong by the internet. Like, mm. that's, that's fine. Okay. Uh, a very quick Google yeah. uh, has taken me to the website birdspot.co.uk yeah. um, <laughs> with an article about has a swan ever broken someone's oh. arm? Yeah. Um, this, I've just done a very quick skim read, mm. suggests that uh, it is highly unlikely that a swan will be able to break your bones with a blow from its wings, which is what the theory mm. is. Um, Wait, what? Wings? Yeah. yeah. What? Well, what did you think it was breaking? Well, the beak. It the beak's not strong enough no, to break a that's... bone. But like, like a, like a raptor sort of, like yeah, a cobra uh, striking. It, it, its head doesn't move that quickly. It's elegant. It's not got well, like strong striking neck muscles. But, like but that. when it 
when it goes to town, if I it, imagine. If it was a woodpecker, maybe. <laughs> like that sort of rapid repetitive movement, possibly. I'd never imagined the wings. I always imagined it being like a whip-like neck movement. Yeah, too. they've got quite strong wings, but it's just, yeah, I'm not... I wouldn't have thought. I say I wouldn't have thought so. Well, the article from birdspot.co.uk yeah. concludes by saying, um, "In theory, you could end up with a broken arm or leg after being attacked by a swan if you fell over during the attack." Yeah. Well, that's kind of where I'm like, maybe. Yeah. They then also go on to say, despite this, we have included swans in our list of the ten most dangerous <laughs> birds, due to at least one reported incident in which a swan killed a man indirectly. I really want to know how indirectly. My like guess if, is chasing them off of something or oh yeah. into something. Just, Chase, yeah, into a minefield. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd count or that. Or in, into a lake mm. or into, like, oncoming traffic. Mm. Um, that yeah, that, that ties into my second question. Yeah. Um, the, the sea mine that blows up and destroys the police station. <laughs> um, how likely is it that everyone would have survived in the way that they did? Um, I would say unlikely, mm. but... It's also a very old sea mine. Mm. So my, 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 my thought is it is unlikely a bit more because it would potentially not be so functional mm. anymore. I'm also surprised that it managed to take out a modern building. The quite building that didn't way. seem that modern. The building was yeah. looked fairly older from the outside. Yeah, maybe. Also, it's in a separate room to a lot of the rest of them. So my mm. thought is that, you know, percussive waves are going to get stopped by walls that's and true. things. Yeah. But, uh, okay. Just, yeah. just curious. That's I mean, that's fine. A, that said. We only know that Danny, Nick, and um, Olivia Coleman's character survived because we don't see any of the others. Like, we see them in the rubble like, oh, but we don't know That's if they... a disturbing final thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, we assume that Edward Woodward's character died because he was under the mine when it exploded. Yes. But I would uh, assume that. I think you could, I think yeah. you could assume that. Yeah. Exactly. But, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lack of closure. Mm. <laughs> would you guys like to know... The 10 badass birds on birdspot.co.uk's list. Please. Yes. yes. <laughs> we will also get to the trivia section shortly. But, this um, is the trivia section. Okay. My uh, guess is there going to be some eagles or some hawks or something I, on I reckon, there. I reckon top one's going to be like a weird one that does yeah. a lot of indirect deaths. Uh, number 10, they have keys. Spelled okay. K-E-A-S. A species of parrot found in uh, the South Island of New Zealand, uh, known as the Clown of the Mountain due to their inquisitiveness. <laughs> the Clown Prince of Crime. Yes, they've been known to peck and carry away clothing or pull apart rubber parts of cars. Mm. One man reported... Hold on, to pack and... Ca- or peck. Peck, right. Sorry. Not to pack and carry away no. clothing. It's a whole <laughs> different danger. Uh, one man reported his passport was stolen by a key. Uh, so they're number 10. Number 9 is the aforementioned swan. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2009, a swan in Cambridge was nicknamed Mr. Asbo after it started targeting rowers on the River Cam. And in 2012, a swan attacked a man in a kayak on Bay Colony Pond in Illinois. The man fell out of the boat and drowned. Whoa. So that was the indirect. Okay, so, right, yeah. yeah, drowning, falling okay. toward cool. That doesn't seem too indirect. No, that's pretty direct. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, he didn't officially get killed by the swan. He got killed by the large amount of water. Mm. <laughs> Uh, number eight is cuckoos. You sound like a swan lawyer. <laughs> Western Australian. What are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, number seven are vultures. Yeah. Uh, number six are shrikes. Do you think vultures are proud to be on that list? Considering they mostly go for like carrion, yeah, they've yeah. done pretty well. But I think it's more because just they're big defensive birds. Like if yeah. you try and get to their body parts that they're eating, they'll 
scratch your eyes out. Yeah. Would be my assumption. Mm. Uh, ostriches are at number five. Oh, they oh, should be higher. Emus. That's, yeah, didn't mm. think about those. Mm. Uh, pelicans at number four. Uh, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, a pigeon was gobbled up by a pelican while visitors watched on a ghast in uh, London St. James's Park. Pigeons are not the only thing pelicans know how to swallow whole. Uh, I was um, working at the hospital recently mm. and there's like a, a wooden statue of a pelican in a little kids yeah. section. Mm. And um, we, we were joking with um, one of the kids and parents nearby. It's like, you know, oh, just watch out for that pelican. I don't think uh, it's been fed today. Mm. Um, and the dad just calmly turned around and said, um, yeah, I, I know to watch pelicans. And he rolled up his sleeve and there was a big serrated scar on his forearm. And he said, yeah, pelican did that. <laughs> Crunched onto my arm. I pulled it back. They've got serrated beaks, you know. They do. They do. That, that is the thing I know from working at the museum. They I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Would rather not know that. Yeah. No, it's important to Upside, know. Upside, now you know to avoid them. Mm-hmm. But f- <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> there we go. Uh, pelicans have also been known to eat gulls, ducks, cormorants, terns, and penguins. Not cormorants. Yeah. Penguins? Oh. Yeah, I know. Uh, number three, the golden eagle. Yeah, yeah. Probably because yeah. of all that gold they can drop. Mm. Yeah. Uh, number two are gulls. Uh... uh Presumably, Jonathan Livingston seagull does well, not fit into this list. Gulls are... There are seagulls and other gulls, so it's probably just a unilateral... Tales of seagulls attacking humans have been well documented in the UK press. In Brighton, a woman was left bloodied and dazed uh, by a seagull, and a vicar in Bodmin, Cornwall, resorted to wearing a hard hat to church after seagulls <laughs> dive-bombed his congregation. Oh, I, I guess it's not... I've just realised that I want to add kookaburras to this list, and I will tell a story about that after. Yeah. No, no, it tells you kookaburra story. Uh, so I work uh, at the there's uh, the Perth Festival films that happen at uh, the Somerville Auditorium here in Perth every year. Mm-hmm. And there are f- three kookaburras that uh, like to steal people's picnics to the point that they like will get right up to you and take things out of your hands. And we have had people slice with hands sliced open because the kookaburra wanted their dinner. Wow. Yeah. To so- the point that they are so tame that like... Sorry, listeners, you can't see this, but they have got. I have been as close as this microphone is to me, which is pretty close to the kookaburra, mm. and uh, it has not moved. And, and I'm like, oh, "You're terrifying." Yeah, and then they'll just mm. laugh at you as they fly away. <laughs> Number one on the list is the cassowary. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Because they yeah, are like literal dinosaurs. Yeah. So, fair enough. No joke. Uh, thank you, birdspot.co.uk, for that informative list. <laughs> and for our little little fun tangent. It's great yes. that they're a sponsor. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, would you guys like some trivia about hot fuzz? Yes, yes. Okay, all of this trivia was sourced from IMDb, so if it's not true, don't blame me. Uh, the first draft of the script included a love interest for Nicholas named Victoria. She was cut from subsequent drafts, but a large amount of her dialogue was given to Danny without yep. changes. Yes! 100%. Yes. Which is uh, superb. And again, yeah, feeds into that romance. Right. Um, also... Okay, as the first time viewer, did mm. you um did you happen to pick up on who the actor was that played Nicholas's ex Janine? Uh we obviously don't see much of her face because she's got the mask and the CSI gear. The voice was familiar, but I could not have named mm. her on that first crack around. No, no idea. It's Kate Blanchett. Oh, is it? <laughs> yep. Shut shut that the would front expi- door. That would explain why the voice is familiar. Yeah, Kate yeah. Blanchett. And she's not the only person to play someone with their face mostly covered who's won an Oscar because yeah. Santa Claus, who stabs him through the hand at the start of the film, yeah. is played by Peter Jackson. Oh, just what? Shut up. 
so ridiculous. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. No, they they got cameos in this film, but you you never see you never see them. Wow. Is super, well, now I will have really to go fun. back and watch it. Like, mm. Yeah. Uh, the filming of Angel and Skinner's first meeting at the supermarket was filmed over the course of two days. The conversation was filmed entirely from Dalton's perspective on the first day. The next day, early in the morning, uh, they were to film the conversation with Angel's perspective and close-ups. Dalton, much to the surprise of the crew, showed up early, even though he wasn't going to be on camera for that portion of filming. Uh, he sat off camera in Skinner's chair and played the role so that Simon Pegg would be able to work um, with him while filming the part. And basically, the whole crew were just super impressed with Timothy Dalton because they're like, he's such a big star. Why is he here? Because he's a, a, a big star and, a, and the kind of person who does that kind of stuff. And does to, his job well. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do think it is it is nice mm. to know that that he was professional enough to do that. Because, and, and like, when this film came out, like, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost were not as big names as they are now. No. They'd really had Shaun of the Dead as their one big hit. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, mm. like, Simon Pegg hadn't been in Star Trek or done mm. his Mission Impossible crossovers, I don't think. Mm. So, um, yeah, you know, they, they were probably, like... Simon Pegg had definitely been on Doctor Who, although, you know, it was like... Yeah, Olivia yeah. Colman wasn't a big name actor at that mm. point. Um, even people yeah, I'm like... I think what I first saw Olivia Colman in. Mm. I think it was Doctor Who for me. I think it no, was... No, I've... Because I watched a lot of... British cop dramas and stuff mm. as well, but Mitchell and Webb, maybe. yeah, Broadchurch, yeah. it's a good one. Nick Frost only agreed to do the film if he could get to name his character, uh, so that's why he's Danny Butterfield. Uh, he also <laughs> he would have agreed to do it anyway. <laughs> no, he probably would be honest. He was also asked to watch over twenty action films to warm up for the role. He only watched one: Bad Boys Two. <laughs> Very good. The judges for the best-kept village competition near the end of the film mm. are played by uh, Peter Wilde, who I'm sure is a nice man, but the two uh, women are the mothers of Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg. Nice. So the director and the lead actor. Yeah, it's just their mums just doing that look around. Mm. Their mums I mean, and some guy. The I mean, guy named Peter they Wilde. know their mums can pull that face. That yeah. face has been pulled throughout their lives. That, <laughs> this is messier Wise than I cast. thought it would be. <laughs> Uh, when in costume, Nick Frost and Simon Pegg were often assumed to be actual police officers. Mm-hmm. Strangers would ask them for directions, and instead of telling the truth that they were acting, they went along with it because they said it made them feel powerful. Yeah. Committed crimes is what you're saying. They yeah. committed crimes. Yeah, they impersonated a police yep. officer. Yeah. So they should be in jail. <laughs> Samson the dog, who plays Saxon the dog, was not allowed to become a real police dog because he was too friendly. Mm. I had the same uh, problem. You weren't allowed to become a police dog? Because I was too friendly. Yeah. And also a human. Yeah. That's fair. You made the right call. I, I think so, too. Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright interviewed many real police officers while doing research for the film. Lines such as, I prefer to think my office is out on the street, came directly from those interviews. The stylized scenes with Nick doing paperwork were inspired by the officers noting that the paperwork is a huge part of the job, but never depicted in cop shows and films. Now, yeah. uh, Dan, I know that you've worked in uh, training police officers um, in a role play capacity, mm-hmm. and I've done that job as well uh, in the past, and there's a lot of paperwork. Yes, mm. and uh, the um, I was reminded of, of those times when uh, he was um, writing down everything that uh, the horrible actor was saying mm. as he pulled him over. Um, yeah, that must be incredibly frustrating. Mm. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it was just, I was like, yeah, that, that felt very, very true to life. And I think that's a nice thing that this film does, even though it's not a 
strictly speaking, you know, true to life, police yeah, procedural. It's, it's a slice of life, but heightened. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, the final bit of trivia is in preparation for the writing of this film, Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg read a book by the film critic Roger Ebert, which included all cliches from action movies so they could use them. Mm, they included having a character wake up in a dark hotel room and flick on the light switch without having to fumble for it. Mm. <laughs> having a shot of the median lines on a road from a moving camera used in the sequence where Angel was driving back to mm. London. I really just wanted to start doing like... Um, Linda Hamilton's voiceover from Terminator 2 at that <laughs> yes. point. Um, and a genial person in charge actually being the bad guy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, they also borrowed cliches from films such as Mad Max, Lethal Weapon, Man on Fire, Bad Boys, and Chinatown. So they, they really went to town. And Point Break. Was Point Sh- Break? Shooting in? up in the air. Oh, yeah. Mm. They may have mentioned that once or twice. Uh, yeah. Just beautifully done as well. He can't shoot his dad. was just... <laughs> was just fabulous yeah well I, I love that 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 sort of encapsulates the tone of the film quite mm. well i think is um they were just directly doing the the spoof that they'd mm. set up earlier in the film but mm. it was also played mm. played real and and the situation was real for his character yeah because it, it is a parody film mm. like, like the you know the sort of poster premise of this film is what if english village cops were like american cops is kind of the way it's set up but i think it is one of the prime examples of like film parody um being used effectively Mm. and doing something a bit more than oh look we're doing this you know doing more than something like a scary movie or yeah or or even airplane which Mm. i personally love and i know that you're indifferent to dan having done well no no i i do i have mixed feelings but i do i do love it it Mm. is corny enough to make its way straight straight to my heart yeah I still haven't forgiven you for that episode, and that was more than four years ago. He always remembers. Uh, but uh, I, I do feel as though it does... Uh, it, I think it is, like, the... Or one of the top examples of, of using parody effectively. I think it, beca- it is a parody film as opposed to being a comedic parody film. Like, it's it's a true parody mm. rather mm. than it being... It's like, um, I'm working on a pantomime at the moment... Panto is a very specific genre. Parody is a very specific genre. But they've deliberately taken it seriously enough that it's become parody mm. and feels like the films that it's trying to parody rather mm. than being something like Scary Movie where it's like we're trying to make this comedic yeah. first and a yeah. parody second. Yeah, like mm. here's the Friday the 13th reference, here's the Halloween reference, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, with all that being said, it's time for us to score the film. Mm. Kate, it was your first time watching Hot Fuzz. What would you give it out of 10? Hmm. I mean, as I say, I think I need to watch it again because I think it's one of those films that, like... And I would happily watch it again um, because I think it's one of those films that almost might improve on the second watch through. Mm. Um, like a seven and a half out of ten? Yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's, it is not my... Like, parodies aren't my typical genre of choice, so it becomes a tricky thing when it's like... It's not something you necessarily love to begin with, but mm. I enjoyed it for it being a parody, for, mm. for sure. So. Okay, Daniel, what about yourself? Um, I shit you not that um, I was thinking seven and a half mm. um, incidental swan deaths out of ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I first saw it, I... It would barely have scraped a five for me. I th- I thought it was like a a, a fine movie, but mm. not mm. very funny and 
just fine mm. and then i've enjoyed it more and more uh yeah had a great time watching it this this time around um some of the things did bug me like as i mentioned before um uh nick frost's character's dad the the police inspector his reasoning yeah mm. felt felt a little tacked on and lazy to me yeah. um just in amongst the rest of the film it didn't need to be anything cool but yeah that just stood out for me today so i'm yeah. gonna agree seven and a half yeah i'm pretty similar um i I think I liked this film a lot more the first time I watched it just because it was exciting and it was mm. quite different as well. Um, really, the only film that was like this was Shaun of the Dead, <laughs> Re- yeah. really. There weren't a huge amount of these really effective parodies. And Edgar Wright still remains a pretty outstanding filmmaker in his in his own right. And the types of films he creates are largely extremely engaging and, and enjoyable. But I feel that with time and maybe just starting to become more like the people that are after the greater good the greater good that we're in oh, this I film <laughs> uh, it, it, it's not quite as vibrant and exciting as i remember mm. it from that very first viewing um but it's still great fun mm. it's and like it's it i think it's got more laughs per minute than a lot of other films it's very dense mm. yeah and it's um it's it's beautifully done uh, i'm a big fan of this sort of film more please uh, so I'm going to give it eight yarps out of ten. Um, it's it's fabulous, it's lovely, and it's just nice seeing this ensemble doing wonderful work together. Mm. Uh, so that brings us to the end of this episode. Uh, Daniel and Kate, thank you so much for joining me on the Cinema Catch-Up Club. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, pleasure. And for those of you listening at home, thank you for listening in. Uh, you chose this film as part of our film poll. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for choosing this a particular film and there will be more film polls in the year of 2022 uh, there is in fact one more film poll that will be ongoing at the time this episode is released so if you're super quick and get to the internet you can help pick our christmas film uh, there'll be a list of them up there make your choice uh, over at facebook.com forward slash ccuc podcast the polls are all posted there on our facebook page if you don't want to type in that web address just search for the cinema catch-up club in Facebook. We also have the Patreon. Uh, if you want to help pick films that go in these polls and other bonus goodies, we can be found at patreon.com forward slash CCUC podcast. And of course, you can subscribe. Uh, new episodes each and every week straight to your device and service of choice. Uh, Kate, I believe that you'll be back with us in the near future because you've not finished your Indiana Jones I have yet. have not <laughs> finished my Indiana Jones We've had yet. You've had your starter, your main and your dessert, and now you're having your After 8 Mint. After that is mint. Kingdom I've... of the Crystal Skull. Ooh, I have been warned. Mm. I have been warned. Yes, yeah, so uh, yes, when we'll next have you on, it will be for that, and uh, yeah. listeners can enjoy that in a few weeks. Daniel, hopefully we'll have you back on... Uh, next year. Next year? Yep. yep. Ye- yearly uh, <laughs> visits now. Yes, yearly. And only with Kate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, if you want to make that a thing, we can do it. But uh, yes, yeah, so hopefully we'll have you on in the near future. And for those of you listening in at home, thank you for joining us. That is all for this week. So until next time, goodbye. Bye. Yarp.
You have been listening to a Thought Jar Productions podcast. For more information, please visit thoughtjarproductions.com.